This is Shack Talk, presented by Eskimo Ice Fishing Gear and hosted by Kyle Agri and Anthony Kleinwachter. Turn up your speakers, grab your gear, and hit the ice with us as we talk ice fishing. Come on in, grab a bucket, have a seat. We are talking ice fishing. This is Kyle Agri and Anthony Kleinwachter with Shack Talk Podcast. We are here in this segment with... Uh, Mr. Andrew Kraft. Thank you guys for having me. It's great to be here. It's fantastic having you on board. And uh, for many folks out there listening to our podcast, they probably recognize you as part of the Fish Addictions crew. You're part of that group and have been on uh, some of their adventures and uh, excursions. You also have your own bit as well. Tell us a little bit about that. I recently actually started a YouTube channel. Um, seeing all these guys nowadays, all these kids enjoying the outdoors, documenting their time out on the water and the ice. And I figured, heck, why not? I'll, I'll jump in on that. And it's been great. It's been a fun ride. Anybody can uh, strap a GoPro on, but this guy here, he's uh, done a really good job at kind of showcasing some of his stories and his unique bite. He's pretty lucky in where he lives. It makes, <laughs> makes a lot of the rest of us jealous on how much he gets out on the water. But yeah, the, the Bemidji area is a fantastic um, place to be. There's a lot of different species to chase, some great lakes to, to go out and explore on. So there's definitely a lot of options up there. And, and so your YouTube channel, what is that called? How do folks find you? It's called Crafty Chronicles, Chronicles with a K. Um, and you can just search that into YouTube and, and find some videos. I think there's only maybe like 26, 27 videos right now, but just kind of getting started, having fun with it and, and documenting the time spent out in the outdoors. That's awesome. That's awesome. You're great. going to be a great addition to this segment. We're going to talk about a topic that I think every outdoors enthusiast, whether it be fishing, hunting, uh, any side, any perspective to the outdoor sports has had either with their friends sitting around camp at the cabin or even just with inside their own head. And that is really the, the strategy, the, the moral decision, the ethical decision about pursuing trophy fish versus numbers of fish versus what do I need for food. And, and I think it's, it's a relevant topic because when we look at ice fishing, right, that so many people can access our resources in the winter probably more than can in the summer if if you know people that don't have boats and, and whatnot and access to those lakes so it's really upon all of us to be responsible mm -hmm. what are your thoughts when it when it comes to that initially because uh if i'm not mistaken all three of us sitting here both at or all at different times have taken the approach that we're going to target trophy fish. And I think part of it too is every sportsman, they go through different phases. And I would say for most of us, we started out in that phase where we were going out and we were trying to put a limit on the table. Like that was the mindset you were in there. You're That's the reason we're going out fishing. And, and as you've done that and myself personally, I mean, I eat fish just as much as everybody else, but there's nothing better than enjoying that fish fresh. And so you start to be a little bit more conscientious and you learn more about the resource and start respecting that a little bit more. And now I look for the challenge of catching those big fish. Yeah, it's great when you're targeting those big fish to get into some numbers and maybe keep a few, but man, there's nothing better than catching a trophy sized fish and capturing that memory and sharing that with other people. And that's exactly it. It is somewhat of a balance. You have to be mindful that there, there's nothing wrong with going out and 
keeping a limit of fish from time to time, but being able to kind of switch gears and mindsets a little bit and going out there to chase one specific fish, that trophy, there's nothing wrong with that. So it is a balance. And that's not to say we might not catch a trophy while we're out fishing to, to bring home some fillets. That, that happens. Yep. And it's, it's also not to say that any of those approaches are wrong, right? It's just that at different times, maybe different bodies of water, maybe different groups of people we're fishing with, we might take those different approaches. Right. And there are lakes that fish very differently. There's lakes that hold, you know, larger numbers of year classes than others. So just being mindful of that, going out and enjoying the resources available is, is it's a great opportunity in the outdoors. And I think that's the first step. And I know we'll get into a few different topics here, but, you know, identifying those locations, you know, knowing what lakes hold those trophy caliber fish, if that's what you're targeting, or if there's a lake that has, you know, there's certain lakes that have abundance of panfish and, you know, that take advantage of that resource and go out there and catch a limit of fish and keep them to try and help, you know, manage that population. And, and you know, quite honestly, none of us need fish. None of us need wild game to live, which, you know, that's, that's really where that heritage came from, though, was because our forefathers, our ancestors, right, they, they wanted to go out and they had to go out and provide food. And so that was one of the means that they could do that. But obviously we live in a, in a day and age where we, we have food readily available without the need to do it. So we carry that heritage on. We still enjoy those pursuits, but maybe for a little bit different expectation. So what would be, Andrew, your first step if you were trying to maybe pick a lake or target a lake looking for the differences? Maybe you're looking for a trophy caliber lake versus uh, putting food on the table. Well, I think the first step is just accessing the online resources that we have nowadays. Uh, there's a lot of information out there, um, you know, catch rates or net net data, what the size of fish is being um, netted out of those lakes. You can access that, and it's readily available. So if you are looking for a trophy potential lake, maybe scouring the Internet, doing a little research, um, but you're not really going to know unless you actually go out there and start fishing. So... It's a, a little homework involved in it, but actually getting out there and putting in the time on the ice and, and exploring is a big part of it. That is kind of the pursuit, really. That's, that's the, it's the biggest part of the game, really. You know, f- once you've found those fish and, and are able to, to entice them to bite, that's, of course, fun, too. But just the, the pursuit and knowing where to go and what to do. And part of it is, wouldn't you agree, kind of the way we set our expectations when we go out on the ice? Right, because if if I know I'm chasing after a 30 inch walleye, if I'm chasing after a 40 inch pike, you know, a trophy in any of these species that we might pursue, I don't necessarily have the expectation that I'm going to get 100 fish topside in a day, right? Right. right? Versus if I'm going out into a local weed bed and fishing for bluegills, and I'm just out there to have some fun, and I know that I'm going to get on a lot of fish, but I may or may not keep them. And I think you hit it there, knowing those trophy specifications for the different sizes of fish and having the mindset on what what you would classify a trophy caliber fish. And I know we talked about it, the you know bluegill, panfish, you know, if you're catching a bluegill, I know a lot of people classify that 10-inch bluegill, that's a trophy. Crappie, anything over that 13-inch, you know, that's a trophy size fish in a lot of lakes. And having the the knowledge and you know talking with different people of knowing what what you would consider a trophy and 
respecting those trophies and taking a picture with them and and having the resource in mind when you're catching those fish and taking care of them. We're ice fishermen, it's cold, and you want to catch those trophy fish, but you also got to be careful with them on the ice as well. And it never hurts to really ask questions if you have them, and I think a lot of people kind of get to that point where they might not know what to keep or what not to keep, and there are a lot of people in the fishing community who are willing to provide a little bit of education, so to speak, and answer those questions, so... It never hurts to ask if you're unsure either. Well, I'll tell you what I'm going to ask right now. So if if it were me asking you, if I came up to you and I said, guys, uh, I'm going to head out. I'm going to go up to uh, Mille Lacs. I'm going to go to Lake of the Woods or I'm going to go to Lake Winnipeg, right? Three big fish, trophy, walleye, potential bodies of water. Um, in your mind, first for a trophy, what what do you consider for a walleye a trophy? To me, on those larger lakes, I'd probably have to say 30 inches is that magical mark. Um, you know, maybe some of the smaller inland lakes, 28, I would say, maybe. Um, it just kind of goes by personal preference. But And I think making sure that you're being mindful of any restrictions that might be on a lake. I know Lake of the Woods, a lot of the Indian lakes, anything between a certain size, there's a slot limit. You can't keep anything in that uh, size range so you know that anything above that is kind of what they would deem a trophy caliber and a lot of people I would say in the interwebs maybe give people a hard time if they keep a trophy but there's a reason that they set those restrictions those fish are past their maturity they're no longer the prime breeders when it comes to restocking the population and there's nothing wrong with taking a few of those fish out of the system as long as you're being mindful so keeping one as a trophy, bringing it home, put it right. on the wall, and, and knowing that that's going to preserve a memory. And, Andrew, I think you hit on a really important point, and it's personal preference. Exactly. If that's a trophy to you, it's your fish, you caught it legally, um, you know, that's your prized possession, and you, you should have the right to hang that, that beautiful fish up on the wall and look at it every day after. So I, I tend to agree with you on that one. I mean, I, I kind of am in that same camp, and maybe the better approach to that question would be, for a walleye, what do you consider one you'd keep to eat versus one that would, what, whatever the size is, you know, and if it exceeds that size, you're not going to keep it to eat. You're going to release it unless it is a trophy. And I think not even just keeping a trophy fish to put on the wall. There's so many options now. Everybody used to always keep the fish, get a skin mount. Replicas have come a long way. I've got some really nice photos that I use on my wall that instead of spending the money on a huge replica, you can print off a photo for a couple of bucks and put it in a frame and, and you can preserve the memory that way. So there's a lot of different options and you kind of got to keep that in mind. If you're trophy hunting and you know that you say you might encounter a trophy size fish, are you going to keep it or are you going to release it? Cause you should know that before you catch it and have that mindset. That's a good point. Not everybody puts that thought into it. And I, and I'm saying that for myself too. I've been in that situation where, you know, that fish came up, on the ice and you're you're really enthralled by it and and it is a trophy and you have to make that decision instantly now all of a sudden if you hadn't thought about it beforehand you're not you're not gonna be able to rationalize it in a real good way yeah i've got a i call it my bucket list that's got a list of trophy sized fish in each species and 
if I know that I catch one over that size, I will probably keep it to, to mount it. Or if I'm on a lake where maybe that's a limited resource, I'll get a really good picture, get measurements for a replica. You know, you got to keep that in mind too to get a good replica. You want measurements, you want girth, you want a lot of those different different measurements, photos of both sides of the fish in case one is different than the other. And keeping some of those things in mind, you're thinking about it beforehand. And I know a lot of us just go out on the lake and we're out there to catch fish, but having some conversations with your buddies or your friends talking about what you would consider a trophy and having that mindset if you're going trophy hunting what are you going to do if you catch one because you're bound to encounter one if that's what you have in mind well and not even if you're going to pursue a trophy what if you're out catching some fish for some fillets and all of a sudden (laughs) that big one comes along and now you're caught off guard. Yeah, that always happens. Yes, it does. There have been times, too, where maybe you you have that set goal, you reach it, and now you're at the point where you're staring at it still, and you're like, oh, I really want to let it go. But that's where the picture um, piece comes in, like Anthony said. If you're that uncertain, you can always blow up a picture for a couple bucks, put it up on the wall, and still stare at that fish moving forward. So never hurts to go that road either. Do you guys have, like... Uh like a threshold, kind of what I had mentioned earlier. Like if it's a, a walleye, if it's a perch, it's a bluegill, and I want to go catch some food for, for dinner, do you have a threshold where if it exceeds a certain size, you're not going to keep it to eat it? I do personally, and those are just kind of numbers that I've set for myself. Um, smaller fish to me taste a little better, and that goes across the board with bluegills, crappies, perch, walleyes. Personally, that's just what I prefer. So if it does hit a certain number, like a 18, 19 inch walleye is teetering on a little too big for me. I kind of prefer the 15 to 17s, I would say. Um, so just kind of numbers I keep in my mind for what I'd like to keep. In bluegills, I'm looking at seven to nine inch range, you know, anything over that nine and a half, 10, that's getting to be that trophy caliber. And I know that's hard for some people because they're smaller fully, but they have limits that are more generous so you can keep more of them yeah it takes a little time to clean them but it's worth the effort and for crappies you know that 10 to 13 that's a great size eating fish anything over that um, is a great great kind of range to try and keep in mind when you're out fishing yeah those are great um kind of benchmarks to have as you as you hit the ice you know you want to bring home a meal of fillets and that's of course the goal you can go out there and and um it takes a little bit of dedication and it takes a little bit of self-discipline to be able to do that because it, it, you know, and maybe not you guys, you're a little younger, but I think when I was a kid, I was still kind of influenced by that generation that if you caught it, you kept it. Right. And so I've seen that the trend over the years going to more of the catch and release and the ability to say, I had fun catching it. This was an experience. I got a photo and I'm going to let it go and someone else is going to catch it. So, I mean, we've progressed a long ways over that time period. And there's been so many studies on the benefits of catching and release, people catching fish and fish over and over again, especially with the trophy caliber size. And to me, that's just more exciting. I got to enjoy it. Somebody else gets to enjoy it. Somebody else gets to enjoy it after that. I can go buy a chicken breast at the store for (laughs) two bucks and, you know, it's, I've got food that I can afford to put on the table. I don't need to keep these trophy-sized fish. That's right. And, you know, if we go to the the meat counter at our grocery store and pick up a filet of cod and have them toss it to us, we can still say we caught it. Right. (laughs) 
So, Andrew, if you were to, you know, say we're going out on the lake, we've identified a target species. Anything you have in mind when you're targeting trophy caliber fish versus, you know, just food on the table? Is there anything you're doing differently as far as your presentation or you know, areas that you're targeting? Um, I think it just starts with the research offhand, kind of like we mentioned, and, and focusing your efforts on bodies of water you know have the potential to kick out those fish and more numbers of those fish. There are some lakes that could be more uh, stunted, I guess you could say, and not grow to the that trophy potential. But upsizing presentations would be another kind of go-to option if you're looking to kind of separate those bigger fish out of the out of the school and deter some of those smaller ones away upping your profile a little bit would be another great option Try so is, is that kind of apply across the board so small bluegills versus big ones you're going to you're going to do that within the spectrum of bluegill baits walleyes same thing yeah for the most part yeah. i would say that holds true for most species um, even like big pike tip-up fishing you slap on a you know 12 inch frozen bait compared to a little four inch, you know, sucker or Cisco or whatever it may be, you're probably, your odds are you're going to run into a bigger pike at some point. So it does make sense. Mm -hmm. It does make sense. Bigger, bigger fish are going to eat bigger prey. They're going to target bigger prey. So, so that's your, uh, that's going to be your approach. And I think the bigger baits, it, it creates more of a aggressive type behavior from those bigger fish. And there's different ways to fish that style of bait too. Um, if you're fishing panfish, walleyes, anything, I tend to fish those higher in the water column. Those fish are going to be more aggressive. They're going to come a little bit farther. A smaller fish is maybe not as aggressive. And that's another really cool thing with fishing those bigger baits. You can be a little more aggressive with them. You can oftentimes trigger some pretty aggressive bites. And that's how you can kind of target some of those bigger fish as well. That's also a really big advantage is electronics nowadays. You can actually play keep away with some of those smaller fish. If you're on a big school of crappies, for example, and you got 10 fish on the screen, you see that big thick red line down there. You can actually coax that fish and try to keep those smaller ones away. But it's a cat and mouse game, but it is effective. That's awesome. Let's talk before we wrap it up. Let's talk a little bit about numbers because I think the trophy versus food also comes into play with with numbers of fish right so if i go out and i'm on a really hot walleye bite and i want to keep some fish for dinner bring some fillets home do i quit after i catch my three four five six six walleyes whatever i deem the number that i'm going to keep or do i keep fishing right is that's a kind of a question and 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 is i don't know if there's a right or wrong answer i'm just saying is there a any thoughts you have on it? And I think it depends on the regulations. I know there's some bodies of water where you can't continue to target a certain size fish once you have your limit. So say you have your limit of fish, you can't continue to target that species. Yes, you can target a different species typically with the same type of bait. So you can be still fishing for them, but you kind of got to follow those moral guidelines and, and knowing kind of what type of even how deep you're fishing. Say you're catching panfish and they're in 30 plus feet of water. Once you catch one of those fish, their mortality rate goes up quite a bit. So knowing that and keeping that in mind, if you're catching those fish, plan on keeping those fish. And once you've kept what you think is enough for you for a meal or within your limits, stop fishing those, pack it up, save the bite for the next time you go out. That's great advice. Great advice. And, and I'm, I'm thinking, too, part of that discussion has to be if I'm fishing Minnesota and my walleye limit is six, 
doesn't mean I need to keep six fish to take home and eat if I want to if I want to keep fish. I can keep three of them. Nothing wrong with that. Doesn't make me less of an angler if I choose to keep three. And maybe I catch six, seven or eight of them, but I let, I let the others go. You know, and that's that's certainly a decision we as an angler make. And I like to keep a fish open anytime I'm fishing within my limits because you never know when you get one that's hooked bad that's going to die anyway, and you want to keep that as well. Or you got to keep that trophy fish in mind. Even if you're fishing for food, you catch a big one, there's a reason up on Lake of the Woods, I'll, you know, you have your four walleye limit. I'll only keep three because you never know when that 30 inch is going to swim by. You're exactly right. Guys, let's wrap it up. This is a great segment. We're going to be, uh, we're going to be back with another segment of Shack Talk here. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with more ice fishing time. Welcome back to Shack Talk. We're getting into our gear and equipment segment, and one thing... Kyle and I have been talking about that I think is an overlooked subject in the ice fishing industry in general is proper apparel. And one piece that I think a lot of people can attest to is is footwear. Having cold feet, there's nothing worse than having cold feet on the ice. Would you agree? No argument there. In fact, I think that's probably, for many of us, the first thing we notice, right? First thing of discomfort is those toes getting cold and well, quite honestly, once it happens, you're not focused on fishing. You're, 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 it, it's a distraction when you're out on the ice. Let's just put it that way. And so we've brought in one of our fellow Eskimo staffers, someone that we've talked to a lot about boots and footwear and apparel in general and being comfortable out on the ice, someone that spends a lot of time out on the ice. And I'd like to welcome Troy, Mr. Bluegill Peterson, to the podcast and Thanks for joining us and giving us some of your insight. Hey, thanks, guys. Um, yeah, I can't wait to talk about this topic because uh, this one's kind of dear to my heart. And I can remember the the days of my childhood where my dad would scream at me to, uh, number one, not get your hands wet, or number two, not get your feet wet. Because what happens when they get wet and it's cold? It's like you say, the first things to go are your toes and your fingers. So, um, yeah, I can't wait to dive into this one. So as we look at boots... There's so many options out there. I'm sure everybody that's been ice fishing for long enough has tried the different types of boots. You've got the fully waterproof boots with no laces, like a muck boot style boot or a rubber boot. You've got you know, all the different types of removable liner boots. You've got everything from the bunny boot that was 50 years old to all the new fancy boots that you have. Don't forget about the moon boots. The moon boots, yeah. <laughs> now I'm not saying I ever ice fished in those, but I'm I'm thinking back to my childhood, right, where where the the moon boot was the fashionable thing, and uh, you know, it gets the point of it is is this technology, the progression of how products are uh, improved. Wouldn't you agree? I, I think everything um, is brought into the marketplace to the consumer, and then the next second somebody's looking to improve it. And that's really brought a lot of great options to uh, ice anglers. Yep. You know, when it comes time to boots, um, and it's funny that uh, we kind of got to this subject because I have known kind of as a footwear guru. I have ordered boots from all across the world. Um, my basement is like a shrine of boots. 
ranging from $50 to, you know, five, $600. And I think a lot of people, they see, you know, they look at insulation, 1200 grams, 2200 grams of insulation. And um, some of the things that they don't look at is what are the boots made out of? Now, we as ice anglers, we're walking around or drilling holes, and what is the number one thing that I keep going back to is when something gets wet, you're going to get cold faster. And people spending money on all these high-dollar, you know, high-grain leather boots, well, guess what? Leather absorbs water. And I don't care if you have insulation in between there. If your boot is absorbing water, um, it's going to get colder faster. And you're going to get colder that much quicker. So first thing you got to look at is you want to have something that's going to repel the water, whether it be a rubber or synthetic or something. Um, You know, that bottom portion needs to repel the water, not hold it. There shouldn't be any stitching. There shouldn't be anything that's going to absorb any bit of water because it's just going to get wet. Troy, and, and I'm, not, I'm not disagreeing with you at all on this, but just as a point of kind of um, what's out there in the market, what, what's your thought on people buying a leather boot, a winter boot, and then using some of the sealants, waxes, and water repellent additives or, or aftermarket things? Is, is that worth looking at and considering? I've tried it, and to be honest with you, I've, like, you know, we've talked about this. I haven't found a boot... Um, you know, that has a leather bottom, so to say, um, or, you know, a fabric wrapped or anything like that, that will repel water, keep it a hundred percent waterproof. You know, they say it is, but I tell you what, one of the things, you know, we as ice fishermen, we kneel a lot and that wax or that sealant or whatever might be fine if you put it on. Um, but the minute you start, you know, bending your toes and creating flex points, all that stuff wears off right where your, you know, your, your joint is on your toes. And that's where the water enters. And that's where you're going to get wet. That's you, a good point. And when you look at boots and insulation, I mean, I think as you hit, there's all the different numbers. But the number one insulation for a boot is air. Air is probably the best insulation inside the boot as far as keeping your foot away from the cold and having some of that space. I think a lot of people put too many socks on or too thick of socks and they don't, they squeeze their foot in there and they think that because they have all this insulation, their foot's going to be warm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Socks is another, you know, my wife, God bless her. And I hope she doesn't listen to this, but you know, I can remember the first time I took her out ice fishing and I watched her get dressed and she's putting like cotton socks over cotton socks and cotton t-shirts on top of her skin. I'm like, no, 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 no. Stop right there. We're going to give you a lesson 101 on staying warm. And that's, you know, dressing appropriately. It starts with your base layer. You want to have something that wicks the moisture away from your skin. That is the first rule of staying warm. Um, Now, I'm going to use some of my little bit of a background. Um, I was fortunate enough to go up to to Alaska and run the Iditarod with some of the guys that live in this cold for, you know, 10 straight days. And they don't have the luxury of warming up or anything like that. They have what's on their skin and that's it. And uh, learning some of the basics from them really kind of brought an insight back down to me on, you know, how to properly dress. And there's other little certain things too, if, you know, people that are really cold, um, you know, if your mom or your grandma is a, a good sore, some little tips that uh, I can shed just for, you know, base layer stuff, sew some pockets right on the inside of your legs or underneath your arms where your main arteries go through and put some hand warmers there once. It's like a natural radiator. 
you know, your blood's flowing through these critical points. And if you have something that's compressed warm against those main arteries, you'd be surprised at how warm your toes stay. And I mean, it actually gets hot because it's like a blood running through a hot radiator and, uh, you know, just guys that really get cold. But anyway, going back, you know, wicking moisture away is super important. Um, you know, good socks don't over put too many socks on guys, you know, they layer up their socks. If you find a, a good pair of Merino wool or, you know, I, I've been wearing these alpaca wool socks too. And, uh, I, my feet don't sweat and they, they just, they don't get cold. That's like the one thing that I don't get anymore is cold feet. You talked a little bit about the different types of materials for your socks. Is there certain things? I know you mentioned not using cotton, other types of base layer materials that are more moisture wicking than others. So, I mean, the spandex style, um, polyester is a natural wicking, um, you know, marine, any type of the merino wool spandex blends, um, you know, some of the different synthetic materials that are out there, but uh, that's why when you go and you go shopping, you'll see socks ranging from, you know, a dollar to insulated socks to, you know, $20, $30 for insulated socks. And I totally believe that you get what you pay for when you start getting into that kind of stuff. Um, Reno wool and, you know, different wools from different animals. Um, you know, there's a reason that those animals don't have to wear jackets and stuff outside because that material is keeping them warm. So if it's keeping them warm. I want to trust it and, you know, keep my body warm. Troy, is there a, is there a difference? And, and I'm asking, I guess, because maybe I am an un, uneducated consumer when it comes to boots. And, and listening to you talk, there's more that I realize that I don't know than I do know. When you talk about insulation and you talk about styles of boots, are there different boots that place that insulation in different areas of your foot? Meaning, are, do some of them only insulate the top? Are some insulating underneath your feet? up into your calves is that is that a difference maker well um it is a good point you know where is the cold coming from that's coming from the from the ground up um so a good boot is going to have a nice thick layer of insulation uh in between your foot and the ground um now the boots that i've kind of gravitated towards and this comes from the people that ice fish and spend their entire life out in the cold um, over, you know, in some of the European countries is, uh, these, when you look at, look back up, when you look at what we do as Americans, we ice fish and fish for a novelty. I mean, this is kind of fun. Um, we don't spend the time out in the, out in the cold. Um, when you get overseas and you get into, uh, some of these European countries that are just cold all year long, um, you know, the military and whatnot, they're having to spend their entire life, you know, they fish for a living to feed their family. So they're out there, they do it every day. Um, they re have to rely on staying warm. And we're starting to see some of the products that these guys have been using for years migrate into the U.S. with the adaptive, um, you know, ice fishing market. Now that some of the U.S. ice guys are going over there, they're bringing back some cool new toys and showing it to us. And we're starting to see, you know, a mixture of products come in from overseas. But um, going back to what Anthony said, you know, the number one in insulator is air, which it is. And if anybody's wearing a pair of Crocs, you know how comfortable they are is because it's a bunch of tiny air bubbles infused in, you know, this rubber and the, the Norfin boots or, and there's a bunch of different models out there, but what they're doing is they're using that material to make an outer layer of boots uh, or outer layer of boot. Um, number one, it will never crack on you. 
Um, number two, you have that insulation factor of air infused into, you know, the material, the outer material. And then to keep the cold off, they put in layers of insulation on the bottom and then just around, mainly around the uh, um, top and sides of your feet. And then enough room around your calf area to let, you know, your foot breathe. Because if you're not breathing, um, you know, we talk with outer layer um, your you, people, again, they put too much clothes on top of their body and then put this nice fancy jacket on that is breathable and waterproof and, and that. But if you're trapping everything against your skin, you're, it's pointless. I mean, you're, you're not helping anything. Well, and you, you mentioned earlier, just that the moisture getting wet creates a feeling of being cold, right? It, it, it makes you feel cold when you're wet. And, and it isn't just the waterproof of the water coming from the snow and ice. It's the perspiration coming from within. So you really have the, both both perspectives where you've got to deal with that moisture and, and trying to keep yourself warm. Correct. And your body's got a natural thermostat. You know, your body will heat and cool itself with perspiration. Um, you know, when you get hot, it starts to perspirate. When you get cold, um, it, it will you know, suck the moisture back into your body and tighten your skin up. So, you know, if you have clothes that's not allowing your body to regulate, um, you're kind of shooting your own self in the foot. So as you look at the different types of boots that you've mentioned, I think one thing that I think is key to that maybe often gets overlooked is if your feet sweat or things do happen and you do have that moisture, I mean, you're doing whatever you can to reduce that or eliminate that is having a good system to dry your boots and making sure that they're dry when you're putting them on. I mean, it's just a matter of fact. If you're, say you had to throw your boots on to run and do something and you forgot and there got to be some moisture in there. I mean, one thing that I always take with me on any fishing trip is a good boot dryer, whether that's for my boots, my gloves, any of my equipment. I think it's something that should be in any ice fisherman's arsenal. Absolutely. A a boot dryer. Um, You come to my house and uh, there's, I think, let's see eight of them lined up against the wall right now and every single one whether it be shoes or boots or gloves anything the kids just know now that you know they want warm feet dry feet and i've just instilled that if you're not going to have cold or if you're going to have cold feet you got to make sure you know everything stays dry and warm but um going back to uh um you know different boots and that kind of stuff now i'm not saying you know every person has a different you know some people walk, some people, you know, just sit all day. And, uh, you know, you've got these really big, heavy pack boots that if a guy doesn't really walk and uh, is just going to go and sit, you know, for deer hunting or whatnot, um, absolutely, I'll pull out, you know, just a big pair of pack boots that uh, may be heavy and I'm not going to walk a whole lot. I'm just going to sit or now I know they make these like big pillows or these um, things where, you know, kind of go over the top of your shoes and you can walk out to your spot and put these giant sleeping bags over the top of your feet and stay warm. So, you know, it all depends, too, on kind of what you're going to be doing for the day. Um, but if I'm walking and, you know, just a general purpose, uh, everyday boot, I'm going towards something like a Croc style. And I think that's the main point of this segment is just to educate people on the different options and there's different applications for those options. So there's no right or wrong boot to have. We just want to share some of our tips with the listeners and, Maybe you can think about that the next time you're looking for a new pair of boots and evaluate the insulation values, what type of materials it's made out of, and 
I know for myself, if my feet get cold or if anyone I'm with, whether that's my kids, my wife, or any of my friends, if their feet get cold, it, it cuts the day short and you're ready to leave. Absolutely. No, there's nothing. Feet and fingers, man. It's When both of those are cold, it's miserable and it makes fishing hard. If you, uh, if you have any more questions, um, feel free to reach out to Troy, Kyle, or myself. We're always more than happy to talk about the different types of boots or gear that we're using, whether that's the outerwear or anything that we have. Um, Troy, what's the best way for them to get in contact with you? Sure. Um, I mean, my website, mrbluegill.com, otherwise Facebook. Uh, you can find me on Facebook. Just type in Mr. Bluegill and I should pop up and... I answer, you know, this time of the year, I answer a lot of questions about boots, and I think I've kind of become known around quite a few parts as kind of the boot guy. So um, I can share my experiences. I've worked with engineers with a lot of these boot companies and um, kind of have, uh, and I don't want to say I'm right, but uh, I can tell you what's worked for me and what hasn't, and I'll let you guys make your own decisions. Troy, thank you very much for joining us. For those that are listening, stick around. We're going to take a real quick break, and we'll be right back with our next segment. Welcome back to our third and final segment of this episode of Shack Talk. This is the the segment where we we talk to different folks about what really uh, drives their passion for ice fishing, what maybe instilled that passion in them, and and just find out about what is it. What do we all have in common? What do we all have different when it comes to our our love of getting on, out on the ice and chasing those fish? And we are joined in this segment by uh, by a good friend. Mr. Carlo Guzzi from, um, well, he used to live in Winnipeg. He just recently moved closer to Lake Winnipeg, which is pretty awesome. I'm, I'm not going to lie that I'm, I'm just a little bit jealous of that. But uh, Carlo does an awful lot of fishing out on, on Big Windy and, and spends a lot of time chasing those fish. Uh, he's been an incredible resource for me personally out there to, to kind of point me in the right direction on a few things when I needed some help. So I, I'm very excited. Carlo, welcome to Shack Talk. Thank you, guys. I appreciate that. It's good having you on. And, uh, you know, let's just jump right in, Carlo, because I, I think that's a great place to start. And it's kind of been where we've started with all of our guests this season up to this point. But uh, how did you begin? What what sparked that passion for ice fishing with you? Uh, well, I... I'm going to say that it came down to, uh, you know, a lot of open water fishing over the years and, and, and then just watching your mentors. Like, um, I remember like before I actually came into the ice fishing world, I was always watching, you know, like Roger Stearns, Lee Nolden, those guys do it for a while. So, um, I mean, that's pretty much what sparked me to, uh, to get out there and, you know, share the same passion with those guys. You know, Carlo, you mentioned Roger, you mentioned Lee, and uh, I don't think you're going to find two more knowledgeable and and actually two more helpful individuals than those two guys. They know Lake Winnipeg like the back of their hand, and they're they're both good anglers no matter what body of water they're on. But, uh, yeah, you, you, you are spot on with that. Those are two good ones, and they're two guys that have, that have helped me out a lot as well. So, uh, I mean, I mean, I think, uh, I think both of those gentlemen have helped out a lot of people, you know, I mean, uh, 
I mean, Lee Nolden has uh, experience on that uh, body of water for decades. Um, so, I mean, that's pretty much what gave me the drive to go out there, learn, learn everything about it, and, uh, and share the same passion with everybody else. So, Carlo, when you talk about getting into the ice fishing game, is that something that you've kind of recently taken on? Is that something, you know, a lot of people listening to this podcast might be, you know, in your same situation where they spend a lot of time fishing in the summertime and maybe they don't have the resources to get out on the ice or maybe haven't thought a lot about it. But is that something that you've done recently that you're transitioning into the ice ice game a little bit? Yeah, yeah, um, Anthony. It's uh, it's been about. Um, I'm gonna say, I've been I've been diehard doing it every you know every weekend. To uh, I'm, I'm gonna say that yeah, it started about six years ago for me. Um, I once I once I started learning a lot about that body of water. It just gave me more drive to learn a lot more about it. Cause there's so much you can learn, especially on Lake Winnipeg. You know, um, a lot of people think that it's, uh, you know, it's, um, you know, just one big bowl, but there's actually a lot of structure out there. If you get to know the lake and, uh, you know, learn the lake, you know, I mean, that's, that's where, the passion comes from is just wanting to learn as much as I possibly can on that body of water. You know, and Carlo, I'll, I'll have to say, uh, knowing you as long as I have, uh, most of those six years that you've been, you've been out on the ice, you're taking that example from those people you named as mentors. And, and you're also passing that passion on because there's a lot of folks who are really watching you and learning from you about uh, your skills and knowledge on that lake, which is great. And that's, that, that's one of the things that I think is pretty special. Yeah. You know, Kyle, um, it's something that uh, it's always given me that drive. You know, I, I love to teach people. Um, I don't look at it like that. I look at it that we're all learning together and, you know, we're just sharing the same passion and having fun out there. You know, if it comes to, you know, um, you know, showing somebody a technique that may work on Lake Winnipeg that won't work on like say miles lack, you know, like different, different techniques work in different places. So if I can, if I can teach somebody, you know, a thing or two about Lake Winnipeg, you know, I know I've done my, my work. So it's pretty, it's pretty special. And I think having a resource that's dialed into that lake for the current conditions. I know myself having been up to Lake Winnipeg a few years, everybody thinks that the same things work year in, year out, but it really doesn't. I know my first time up there, rattle baits was the craze. Well, it seemed like last year spoons were the craze where that was really triggering those bigger fish and the rattle baits actually weren't. And I mean, I know we had several conversations before my trip that I've took some of that information that you were able to provide and, and use that up on the lake and having those resources, whether it's someone that you're, you know, learning from being a mentor or just someone that you yeah. can reach out to on, on social media. And so, I mean, for me, that was, that was really helpful. I'm glad I could help out. You know, that's, that's one thing that I always, uh, I'm thankful for that. If, if, you know, I put a lot of time out here and, um, if I can get on those fish prior to when you guys come up and I'm on a hot fight, I 
you know, I, I always pass that forward, you know, to Kyle or Scott or, I mean, yourself or, uh, you know, Mike Olson from Fish Addictions or so on and so forth. You know, if anybody comes up and they want to get a hold of me and ask me how the bite is, you know, I'll tell you the truth. I would never persuade somebody in a different direction. So, yeah, you know, it, it's, it's quite special. It's quite special up here. But when you were talking about uh, the different spoons and different crankbaits and stuff like that, I pretty much more or less call it right time, right place. You know, that's pretty much how it is. Uh, if the fish is hungry, the fish is going to bite. That's just how it is. Yeah, and there, that's that's part of the game up there, isn't it, uh, Carlo? Is is to have those different offerings in your arsenal, and then, like you said, no right time, right place, right presentation. What to use yeah. at what time? Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, somebody sometimes people think that you know, you need to go with a big spoon, and they won't hit the small one, or you got to go with a pink jig or not a red jig you know it's it's pretty much right place right time uh if if they're hungry and they like what you have in your presentations right they're gonna hit it nine times out of ten they're gonna hit it so um yeah carlos speaking of right place right time you have uh you've obviously taken your passion for fishing lake winnipeg to the next level because you and you and your wife just sold your home in the city of winnipeg and you moved up uh, very close to the lake on on the lake's west shore, uh, and and that was yeah. pretty recently, right? Yeah, that was uh, three months ago. We we uh, we bought a, a brand new home in Winnipeg Beach. Uh, it was somewhere where I was raised all my life as a kid, and I just loved coming up here fishing with my grandfather, and uh, it just became a passion for me. And um, you know, it's it's somewhere where I want to be for the rest of my life. It, I want to be on Lake Winnipeg chasing those greenbacks, uh, you know, year after year. It doesn't matter what is the new hottest bait or what's not the new hottest bait. I still want to be out there and do what I love, and that's, uh, you know, be with your friends, uh, share good times, and catch fish. That's absolutely awesome. Absolutely awesome. I love it. And it's funny you talk about sharing the stories and sharing information. And I, I look back at our first interaction on the ice last year, and I was telling Kyle about this before we actually got on the phone with you. And it was very interesting to me that we were able to talk back and forth quite a bit before our trip. And before we actually met on the ice, we were texting back and forth on how the bite was. And I know you guys had just caught a couple of nice fish and you're like, come on over and, and check it out. And as I was pulling up, I think you were releasing like a 29-inch fish, which yeah, yeah, to most people <laughs> is is kind of crazy to think. And, you know, we, we met each other, and you said, hey, come on over and let's do some fishing. And so we, we drilled off to the side, and I don't think – how long had I been fishing before I hooked into that 27, 28-inch fish? Maybe five minutes. And yeah, so you know, like... it, it's just crazy to think that on a body of water that big um, – that you can go to a spot and, you know, that might be where the fish are that day. Yeah. You just, you know, you, you learn patterns and you learn, you learn where the fish are going and you learn where the bait's going. And once you, I mean, once you, once you learn those things, I mean, it's, it's not hard. The average person can do that. Uh, You just got to, you got to put a lot of time in and uh, you got to want to do it and you got to want to have, you're gonna, you you want to have fun while you're doing it because if you're not having fun, there's no point in doing it. You you don't want to make it uh, feel like a job. You want it to just be fun. And uh, when you 
when you have the fun, you know, it's just, it makes things a lot easier out there. I mean, uh, I remember that I was, uh, I was talking to my wife about that, Anthony, and I said, you know, I brought him over and here Lee and I, we both, I had a 29, Lee had a 29 and a half. And within five minutes of you showing up, you had a 27 and a half. And, uh, you know, I'm just really lucky that, uh, we all get to share the same passion together, you know? That's what it's about. That is what it's about. And that passion might come from different places, different histories, different experiences, but that passion is something that so many of us who, who love ice fishing share. And I run into it all the time talking to uh, listeners of this podcast or, or our radio show. And, and they're just all fired up because, you know, it's, it's that connection piece, right? It's, it's what connects people. And that passion is, is pretty amazing uh, for a sport. That's, that's just, you know, there, it's just so cool to, to see everyone get that excited um, about something like this during, during the dead of winter. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's very exciting. You know, um, if you, uh, anybody listening to this podcast, if you haven't been up to Lake Winnipeg before, put that on your bucket list because uh, it's quite a special place. Um, if you like big walleyes or you like small walleyes, it doesn't matter if you just like to have fun and, be with your friends and family and do what you love. Come up to Lake Winnipeg because it's the place. And it's always an adventure. Every time out, it's an adventure. That's what I love about it. It's never the same trip twice, two days in a row. There's oh. there's always something new that uh, that comes your way. And and speaking of, of something new coming your way, Carlo, I, I didn't, and Anthony didn't uh, tell you this ahead of time. We got a question for you here. I know you love Lake Winnipeg so much and you spend probably close to all of your time on the ice on big windy, but are there, here's the question. Are there other bodies of water that, that you um, will, will go out on the ice and fish during the winter? Yeah, for sure. Um, I, 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 I keep my time very, like, I don't really talk about other places of and other bodies of waters that I, that I normally fish. I mean, um, I like fishing the red river, but that's also, you know, same body of water as Lake Winnipeg, but I do uh, kind of go outside the box a little bit. I go up for, uh, you know, Cisco tulabees up into uh, the big white shell. I like to target uh, that species. Um, you know, sometimes I'll go up to Ontario for a lake trout if I uh, really want to feel the adrenaline rush. I mean, don't get me wrong, walleye still give me an adrenaline rush, and uh, I do get happy when I catch those big ones, but. At the same time, I just, uh, yeah, I like to, I like to do different things sometimes, you know, and it, I mean, I don't normally do it, but I do do it once in a while. And then talking about some of these trips, is there, I know we've asked a few of our guests, is there a favorite memory you have from spending a day on the ice? Um, I can honestly say, um, yeah, I had a real good day one one day with uh, with Lee Nolden. Um, I don't think I'll ever be able to forget this day. We we ended up catching nine masters that that day. Wow. Uh, we probably drilled uh, probably about 50, 60 holes. You know, I'm a runner and gunner. I'm always on the move. If I don't find something in eight minutes, nine minutes, I'm on the go. So. Uh, yeah, Lee and I, we had a real good day one day. We, were, we pushed in shallow for the morning bite in the Salamonia Channel. Um, we ended up picking up four four big fish that day. 
uh, in, in, in that area. Lee ended up getting a big 30. He was really happy. I was really happy, you know, like, and then he said to me, well, let's go try something new. Let's go push deep. And I was, I was kind of iffy about it because I wasn't sure if it was the right thing to do at that time. But I mean, again, I'm just learning. I was just getting my feet wet in the, in the fishing world. And uh, we ended up pushing out and we ended up catching about 70 fish in the, in the deep water. And he's like, well, I want to take you to this clear water spring. Um, you know, normally the walleyes are here and uh, bang on. It was, it was electric. Uh, yeah. We ended up uh, hammering some big fish that day. And I don't think I'll ever be able to forget that day, you know, and I, that's something that I, I continuously, I try to do day in, day out, out there. I mean, it's, uh, it's really fun. That sounds like a blast. I, uh, I, you know, I'm happy if you get one master and boy, two masters in a day is amazing. I think the best I've ever done was three and, and to think about racking up that many. And, and for listeners that aren't aware, a master angler in Manitoba is, uh, essentially it's it's 70 centimeters which is about uh 27 and three quarter inches so just just right at that 28 inch or above mark all fish that are i mean many of us would would consider fish of a lifetime yeah for sure um i mean sometimes i tell people uh how many masters i've caught in a season and they're like i've never even caught a master in my life and it's just like right place right time you know you put in the work you'll get it you know but uh two years ago i i'll i'll let the listeners know because uh i like we all have said i fish lake winnipeg a lot but uh i had 76 uh, two years ago um and i'm trying to i'm trying to beat 100 this year so uh that's a little secret of mine (laughs) that's an incredible goal an absolutely unbelievable goal to think that Carlo. Wow. Um, I got one more question for you. you. Your passion for ice fishing and ice fishing on Lake Winnipeg, I know it goes from the moment you can get out on the lake safely until the season yeah. closes at the end of the year. But if you had to pick maybe one week to 10 day window and recommend to folks, what's your favorite most high percentage time to come up? What What would that be in your mind? Well, um, a lot of people talk about this March bite. Um, I'm not about the March bite. Not, not that I'm not about it is I know when the big fish come through and when we start really getting into those big numbers of walleyes, like 11 in one day or six in one day or five in one day. But I'm going to say um, my window is going to be uh, February 15th to the end of the month. If I can, how's that? 15 days. That's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just trying to get a ballpark. You know, I mean, we always say the best time to go fishing is when you can go fishing. We're just trying to pencil in our trip for this year with you. So we're, you know, marking down February. Okay. We'll, we'll schedule some time with Carlo. Oh, definitely. I, I, I really look forward to you guys coming up here. It's, uh, I'll be honest. It's one of my favorite times of the year is, uh, when, uh, when Kyle and, uh, Tony come up and Anthony and I mean, all the, all the, all the boys on our team. And I mean, um, we're all sponsored by Eskimo and Ion and that, and it's just really fun to be out there with your, with your team members and, 
you know, share the same passion. You're all wearing the same clothing, you know, all, all doing the same thing. It's, it's, it's real cool. So, um, yeah, I'm going to say that's probably one of my favorite times uh, when you guys come up. Well, we're looking forward to it just as much as you are. Um, I know our time's kind of running out here, but I, I really want to thank Carlo, you for coming on and, and, sharing your passion and what really gets you into fishing. Um, if anybody listening wants to get a hold of you, is there a preferred way for them to reach out to you? Yeah, reach out on me on, uh, on Facebook or uh, Instagram. You know, I'm, I'm very open to talking. If you guys have any uh, questions or concerns, you know, how the lake is or where the ridges are or what's the new hottest bait out there or, or, or so on and so forth. Yeah. Get a hold of me that way. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty flexible. I don't and, bite. And I think you made a really good point too. It's not necessarily just when are the fish biting, but it's travel on the lake and, you know, can you get around yeah. with a, with a truck or do you need a ATV or quad or a snowmobile or, so I think that's really good information. But uh, for everyone listening, uh, thanks for listening to this episode of Shack Talk. We really enjoyed um, having you here. If you want to get a hold of Kyler, myself, please reach out to us on social media. We're more than happy to answer your questions. Um, and until next time, get out fishing.